remain calm. This is not a test. NASA has just announced that a rogue planet they are calling Melancholia has entered our solar system. While Melancholia does not appear to be on a collision course with Earth, the rogue planet has already caused disturbances to our planet's tidal and tectonic activity, resulting in catastrophic destruction around the world, most notably a 260-foot tsunami in Norway. For your safety, stay in your homes, and please remain calm. Please remain calm. Welcome to Please Remain Calm, the Cataclysm Movie Tournament Podcast. You're joined in your home. Look behind you. It's Jesse, Charles, and Derek. That's not nice. We're in a time especially where we're supposed to be staying away from each other. Don't make them think we're behind them in their homes. I mean, I think we're behind them metaphorically. You know, like we got their backs. What's the metaphor, Derek? (laughs) The metaphors were we're behind you. We're watching your back. Um, we're behind. We got their back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's interesting. What the metaphor- that's definitely not what I was going for. No, we're scaring them. Yeah, we're spreading yeah. I coronavirus. wanted to scare them. We're sneaking into their homes to cough on them, and we're freak making them the an fuck assumption out. here that our listeners are smart enough uh, to know that we are not in their home. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should make it more explicit. Guys, we're not in your homes. <laughs> we're in two towns in Massachusetts and uh, recording from our outpost in Iowa City. Yeah. Derek is. Yeah, how is it out there? I know we, we sent Derek out there. We're like, we got to get someone in one of these <laughs> We need someone states. boots on the ground. Figure out what the fuck's going on. In the middle of the country. I'm actually, I'm very glad you guys asked because it has been weird here because we have completely reopened. The state like never fully shut down. Yeah, it's nice. We made it. Grand reopening. I'm glad we we sent Derek out there years ago and we sort of (laughs) forgot about him and it was like just lucky that he was out there right now. So you guys are like, you basically didn't do anything yeah we didn't do very much as a state there were a bunch of meat packing plants that stayed open unfortunately uh and they have gotten a lot of people sick but my county i was in shut down a lot of stuff uh, yeah. restaurants and bars but now like everything's just open people are out bars are crowded it's a very terrifying uh experience because we haven't been through what new york has which means most people here are not uh immune yet well, I mean, you are in a flyover state, so you don't really get any visitors. No one important is there, right? It's just like the caucuses are done. Day. Yeah, if, if this yeah. is happening around caucus time, I'd be like, oh boy. Uh-oh. Yeah, what yeah. could have gone? What what terrible thing could have gone wrong during the Iowa caucus? But luckily, right? this year's Democratic Iowa caucus went off without a hitch. Yeah, I feel like the pandemic would have made it better. Like one of the few things I'm not that would sure have been how improved. it could have made it worse. Truly, yeah. truly, I, I talk with Eileen, uh, my partner, about how the weekend of the Iowa caucus was the last time I remember being, like, happy in this w- world, unfortunately. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
since then that was like the glitch in the matrix and everything has just been a downward cascade damn oh dear that sucks that's what i was like a downward cascade a lot of people having a lot of fun right now in iowa but they won't be in about a month so that's the the kind of report from the ground out here how how is massachusetts feeling for you guys it's feeling pretty nice (laughs) charlie want to take that one Uh, yeah, the weather's finally, you know, it's fucking New England in the springtime. I feel like this is an early summer. We're getting... Yeah, we're getting it was 80 night, like, yesterday. W- nice. Weather talk is very interesting. <laughs> and it's fucking great here. The weather is... Mwah, it's a beautiful. Mm. I get to sit out. I have a hammock. Ooh. I have a yard. I have a dog. It's fucking the best. That's the life. People talk shit about weather talk, but honestly, right now, the weather is the single biggest factor in my life because there's like nothing else going on. That's so, what you can look at? Yeah, that's all I can look that's at the, all day. Look at today. And the weather is like, today here, it's very rainy, and that means that I can't oh, like shit. go do fun things, and I'm just kind of stuck for the millionth day. Well, you can stay inside and uh, watch a couple of really cheerful movies. Yeah, yeah. I think I think much like the uh, the characters, are you like graphing all the water usage <laughs> yeah. in the area and the sun? <laughs> it's like getting some like sick binders out to keep track of everything. Yeah, I have uh, very extensive notes. I it's interesting. I don't know. I'll save this. I'll save the conversation about grass for later. But good. This was a really save it. Don't get into it now. Save it till right in the middle of the pod. Yeah, we're talking some fucking weather talk. I'm sorry, you're right. We're talking weather talk. Uh, We'll get to graphs. We'll get to binders. Don't you worry. Can we also get to um, homemade uh, planetary tracking devices as well? Things that (sighs) we hold to our chest and then look through a a little wire doodad that our son made. You have a son? I do. Uh, I I haven't talked uh, about him on the pod before. Uh, I'm glad you're putting him to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's he's hard at work. Everybody has to contribute in this house. Yeah, making little doodads, <laughs> little doodads and I, whatnot. I do like the idea of having a kid that you can just like tell to do things oh, for yeah. you. Charles, I feel like that's how it used to be. You would have kids, and then you'd send them out to the farm, be like, "You're a farm worker now." What do you mean used to be? I feel like that's how it still is. Well, that you just didn't have kids to. Me. to I was told I could do whatever I wanted to, and then... That explains a lot. At, look at me now. I'm a podcaster. What kind of school did you go to? Were you a uh, public school, private school? I for, was, like, high school uh, generally and school? speaking, uh, early on in life, I was like a Montessori boy. Yep, that's mm. what I guess. But that was exactly yeah. my I guess. transitioned. I don't... There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, no, no, it's, it's great. But later... Uh, I feel like I have to be like, no, 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 I'm I'm normal. I'm normal. Um, yeah, later on, I just moved out to public schools and attended public schools from like third grade to, I guess, forever after. You weren't a Montessorian for long then. No, just no, like, just to get started. That makes sense. I think that's the best way to do it. Just in long enough for them to be like, uh, Mrs. Pulitzer, your son cannot attend this school anymore even at a montessori school he is not doing enough work uh he refuses to do anything <laughs> they pulled out uh, your you expelled they pulled out your file and just took a big stamp that said ditch digger and just slammed it down on it <laughs> i've heard that ditch her. diggers do very well right <laughs> yeah they 
Yeah. Well, I don't know what that was. That a little slam on ditch digging, Derek? <laughs> no, I thought you were a man of the people. It's based on all your conversations, you're supposedly a man of the people. Absolutely. And yet here you, you are. You've never heard this phrase, Throwing Charles? dirt. Charles, you've never the heard the digger. phrase, the world needs ditch diggers? It's like the way that older people say, well, you're not going to be successful, but the world needs ditch diggers. Yeah, I, I do. And that's why I'm curious. So you align yourself with a boomer. No, I was... Should I just have said, okay, boomer, and we could just have moved on? Listen, I was, I was embodying the person I was making fun of. It's called satire, Charles. There's a there's a dictionary nearby. I would look up the word. It's filed right sure. behind the binders it, that you have. Yeah. You've been look at, look, flip going over binder. those binders all day. You mix the dictionary. Flip through your binder yeah. and just, just check out where it says satire. Or you could just watch a little movie called Dread. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but of course, Dread is not the movie that we watch for this week's episode. Oh, no. Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on the pre-event side of the bracket again. Uh, we've got The Wave with the eighth seed going up against Melancholia, the nine seed. Yeah, so this is your, your first time here. We watch movies in a bracket that we've made up ourselves for no real reason. And uh, yeah, every week we watch two movies and decide which one makes us feel more connected to living in a pandemic. Mm. So this, yeah, we have our eight and nine. Very close. You were talking last week about how much you love an eight, nine seed in a bracket. Um, yeah, and I, I'm surprised by both of these scores on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it's interesting. It, <laughs> the reviews for The Wave are flabbergasting. I, I do not understand what happened in 2015 where people were like, Great. Okay, well, eight, here's the eight thing. Points. Eight points to the way. Let, let's let's shout out... Um, let's go into our rating system briefly, because yeah. it's a huge part of why we uh, have these movies seeded the way they are. Um, we are using Rotten Tomato scores. Uh, and Rotten Tomatoes, unless it changed last time I checked, it's basically an aggregator site where people get to basically thumbs up, thumbs down a movie. Um, and then based on whoever reviewed that movie uh, and the ratio of thumbs up to thumbs down, they come up with a percentage, percentage that gave it an approval rating. <laughs> I like the energy that we're, I'm just going to, like yeah. this is for a movie that's very much about binders and graphs. This is like definitely the energy we're bringing today. <laughs> well, yeah. that's very what Rotten Tomatoes is. Explaining people what Rotten Tomatoes is. You know? Well, I think it's important too because you're also, Rotten Tomatoes is, a, the the score is governed by who watched the movie, right? So if you've yeah. got a horror movie, let's say. Right. Got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. But then you look at all the reviews, and it's from all of these horror websites. And, like, nobody from, like, a regular... No regular person no. <laughs> has reviewed this film and given it their approval. Right. So that that is just something to maybe keep in mind as we go through these. And I think with a movie like The Wave, 82% you can kind of look at that and say, well, probably not that many people saw The Wave. I, I uh, hadn't seen the well, wave are you, before. Are you looking? I just want to make sure. Are you looking at RottenTomatoes.com slash M slash the underscore wave underscore 2016? No, I'm looking right now, though. 
Well, you're talking at your fucking ass, dude. That's accurate. It will happen again. 31. So this is, I think what you're talking about are like movies from, we, we've like ran into this with stock or we ran into this with movies that sort of came out before Rotten Tomatoes did. But like this, this was a movie that came out in 2015, 2016, it has 31 top critics, got 109 critics. This isn't just like some weird movie that gets weird. Like this is an actual movie. Huh. It has yep, reviews you're right. by this people is from an actual New Yorker, movie. people from, yeah, this came out. It says LA Times, Roger Ebert. I, I think that the Norwegian film scene is is sort of like Jesse in his Montessori school where people don't really know a lot about it. There haven't been a lot of big films from there. And so as soon as this came out, everyone was like, wow, great job, guys. You made a film. This is an unfair characterization of Look at me. this. Instead of thinking of it as a Rotten Tomatoes score, just think of it as like a series of stars and shapes that they just sort of put in stickers across the side of the film. Uh, because I think it was just people were like, wow, this is cool. It's from Norway. Isn't that interesting? Because <laughs> I mean, that I don't is think- part of why I said we should watch it for the pod. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, before this movie, I didn't know there were, any- I didn't know there were waves in Norway. <laughs> well, I didn't know anything about Norway, honestly. You didn't know anything. No, I mean, there are many countries around this world that you're like, <laughs> Jesse, you know it's a country, right? And I'm like, yeah, got it. Norway. Oslo is a city in it. Cool. Oh, that's a lot. You know more than most people, I'd say. Probably, yeah. Well, I really like Oslo uh, coffee beans. And I was like, oh, that's a funny name. And then I was like, oh, it's a city in Norway. I I gotta say, too, Norway looks beautiful. Yes. I now... This movie... Well, based on this film. Right. Despite being a a film about a terrible disaster that killed uh, dozens of people, I now want to move to Norway... Uh, after watching this movie because it looks absolutely incredible Mm. Uh, but i think that it is interesting to see a film that seemed to be so centered around almost like a pr campaign warning people about the dangers of large-scale tsunamis happening in their country i I mean i I mean maybe just because of the tone of it was really boring but i don't (laughs) i mean i think the movies do that where they're like this could happen, oh, right? Yeah. And then it's supposed to be scary. I don't know if it's a... I mean, it's a PSA only in that they included numerous scenes of people looking things up in books. <laughs> they needed and to give people it that like, scientific edge. Yeah. Yeah, like looking at charts being like, whoa, that's flashing red. What does that mean? Let's look that up in the book. Oh, nothing. Yeah, whatever. Ah, it's probably something, fine. probably something bad, but who gives a shit? It's yeah. our only job. Uh, this, was, this was Norway's official entry into the Academy Awards for this year. Sure. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Anyways, so we're watching. Uh, this movie's called Bolgen. Bolgen came out in 2015. I think it was released in the states in 2016 or something. It's by uh, Roar Uthog. Right. The best part of the movie for me is the name of the director. Easily the best named director in our entire bracket. Roar, Roar Uthog. Uthog. I don't know, guys. I like the name Lars von Trier. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good so one. So we got yeah. a couple of. So he's Danish. Do you know where Denmark is, Jesse? Yep. Do you know anything it's about Denmark? Right next to one of those. Yeah, European countries. Well, it's pretty close to Norway. Yeah, right. If Norway's like Maine, uh, then Denmark would be like uh, Western Massachusetts. Yeah, well, it's like in that distance from each other right 
Yeah, they're like right acl- across the Black Sea from each other, I believe. I would say it's it's more like if Wisconsin were mirrored. Okay. And you or no, Michigan. Which is the which is the one with the little it shouldn't Michigan. be a part of that state. Oh, yeah, it's Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. If yeah. Michigan were flipped, it would be also Michigan. Right. So it's Michigan and Michigan. It's like the two peninsulas in Michigan. Man, this they're, is they're the fucking that content you come to a podcast Dude, for. You fucking get the Three binder. Boys out. Not looking at a map. Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> you have a question. You go, what binder could this answer be in? What book might I look up to see? what the solution to this problem is. And we just looked inside our brains for this one, but I, I mean, I, I'm ready to go to the books. I feel like a Giles today. <laughs> well, yeah, let's... Wait, so uh, Jesse, this is your pick. You said you pick... I just wanted to, before we get really into plot, I do like to sort of understand the context for the pick. Yeah, please. So you you said you picked it mostly because it was Norwegian? I'd ne- or I had never seen this movie. Yeah. Um, and I kind of guessed that neither of you had seen this movie. And I was looking at, uh, at, just to confirm, neither of you knew about the movie or had heard of it, or watched it, no, no context going in? No context. No. No context. No context. Okay. So, yeah. I don't know. I think I was, like, just looking at Magnolia Pictures um, that I, I think they distributed, right? Yes, Magnolia yes. distributed. Um, I was just on, a like, a YouTube binge of random trailers of films that they've distributed in the last couple of years and I uh, came across the wave. Wait, what? This is this is something that you do? Well, I love I love trailers. Um which I think if you watch the trailer for The Wave, it kind of paints a very specific picture about what the movie's about. Right. And then like many trailers, you get into the movie and it turns out that's not as accurate as you were you were hoping. Although I just sort of um, like that most like hip kids in film are looking at like A twenty four releases or you know or if they're like really into universal shit like you're just fucking dragging your fingernails through like maybe one of the lowest tiers. No, I love Magnolia, and we have a we have a friend who works for Magnolia, uh, and that must I was be looking it. at different. Um... I was gonna say this is doesn't seem right. Magnolia is like big in like early aughts. Right. Um, well, they they usually have stuff going on. Um, their action movies are not really their thing. I'd say you're looking more at like films like Broken Flowers. You know. Mm. Um, yeah. I just don't think I've seen that logo in like ten years yeah. or five years. Well, you maybe, haven't maybe seen I just the Ruth just... Bader Ginsburg documentary, my friend. I did not see that movie because I oh. don't like documentaries about people. Magnet. Is there kind of like, I guess, like actiony horror movie subsidiary? Mm-hmm. It, it's a it's a part of my Tess Orenstein. I'm sure I'm butchering this. Uh, so if you end up listening to this, please forgive me as I'm describing uh, yeah. your studio. Tess, come on the pod and correct the record with with, with no, Jesse. That, that Rose would be Walter. a whole other pod of of her correcting <laughs> me. Unfortunately, um, Tess Orenstein, an amazing person. Would love to have you on. But anyway, The Wave. I saw a trailer for The Wave. It was compelling to me because um, I I think disaster movies are... They're kind of uniquely American in a lot of ways. They rely on, um, they rely on big budgets. 
In order to have a disaster, you need to see the fault line of San Andreas crack open. You need to see the meteor hit the planet or realistically go whizzing by. Um, you need to see those things in order for it to be compelling. And I was like, how does another country deal with that, with their limited budget? And that's why I was like, I kind of want to see what the wave's all about. Yeah. Okay, interesting. This movie's really Norwegian. You know, uh, uh, from beginning to end, the people, the 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 setting, I can't imagine this exist like the just the idea of you have a town by this enormous uh lake, this body of water, um and there's a real fear that an avalanche is going to knock rocks into the water, causing an enormous tidal wave. Like, that is not something Americans ever think of. No. You know? So I was like, I, I, I want to see what that's, what that's like. And I, I did wonder as I was watching this film if there was something lost in translation a little bit. Um, like, maybe the reason I wasn't as afraid or compelled was because I was like, that's some Norway shit, you know? This has nothing to do with me. I do like that the film takes a smaller scale approach to a disaster movie because that's actually what real natural disasters are like. We hope, hopefully, we will not see a giant meteor crash into Earth at some point. And, and what's much more likely is mudslides and tsunamis and hurricanes and all these kinds of things. Uh, and I think that the film at times does work well using this kind of smaller scale and keeping it focused on a, a tighter group of people. Uh, but there is a little bit of me that is an American disaster movie watcher. I'm used to feeling much more tension and much more stakes. And it was a little hard to get as amped about this when I... I, I, I yeah. don't think this is anything to do with us. This is not us being Americans expecting to have our dicks knocked off by a rock this is like this is a bad this is a badly made movie you don't feel tension because there is no tension and the way they make tension is through phony devices like people literally in charge their only job is to make sure that disaster doesn't happen and they ignore like it's not believable that these <laughs> this, people are like this is the oh, central wait, problem of this the film. thing this thing that happened a hundred years ago where we have actual documentation in books and on our computers saying that a compression happened before the last one and then they're like the exact same shit is happening again they're like hmm it's probably, it's probably just a an mistake error. it's probably a computer mistake let's do that for 20 I minutes i will say of the movie. that was to me <laughs> As, as watching it now, thinking about how I felt during this time watching it, that was by far the most compelling and realistic thing because we're going through an experience where we know exactly what happened 100 years ago, almost to the year, and no one who was put in charge who ostensibly should know what to do did anything to prepare or get ready for it as yeah, we the, knew it was coming. The difference is that this movie doesn't set this up as though it were really a fail. Like they don't spend very much time. It's like maybe one line being like, Oh, this, should we close down the town? No, we got to sell thing. And the guy's like, no, we don't need to sell that. But then he doesn't be like, let's look into it. He just like goes home, drinks some whiskey and then like looks this shit up in a book. Like, Oh fuck. There's like, literally this is a one fact that you should already know if this is your job. It's true. And everyone, it doesn't like play into that as like part of the problem. It just shows these people as sort of mediocre and not and I and I think we do have people in charge that know what's going on and giving us messages of what to do. And it's just like the public isn't acting in a way for the most part. 
Well, I, I think that the big issue that we've run into in COVID is that there was a time when all of this could have been prevented. And we've seen other governments successfully do that and not have this wide scale disaster occur. And I think what this I, I like what you're pointing out, though, Charles, that this captured for me a real sense that there was a failure, but the film didn't want to have it seem like a failure. They wanted to have it both ways where they could create tension, but then not deal with the fact that this structure was failing, which is part of what made it feel like a PSA to me. It was like, they don't want to actually show that these structures might not work, but they want to have tension. And those two things couldn't be resolved ultimately in the film. And so Mm -hmm. it did kind of feel like it wasn't uh, committed enough to to one direction to make it work. No, instead of that, they spend... They spend the film with uh, the family uh, and exploring different spaces that the family inhabits. Uh, this is basically the uh, the group that we see the full movie through their eyes. Um, the nuclear family, father, mother, son, and daughter. Yeah. Uh, and the the main character is Christian Elk. <laughs> this is this is going to be 30 minutes of maybe just butchering Norwegian yeah. names. Christian Elkjord? Just call him... Don't stop until you get it right. Call him Elkjord. Norwegian Norman Reedus. Well, Derek, th- you've seen this guy before, you know. Really? Yeah. He's the fucking lunatic at the beginning of uh, Mission Impossible 6. What? He's the guy... Really? Well, spoilers for Mission Impossible 6, but there's a... There's a... Like a mad scientist character, uh, and um, our lead here, uh, Christian, who's played by uh, Chris <laughs> Christopher Joner, Joner, Joner. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> you cannot stop until you get it I, right. I, the thing is, I don't know if I'm right. Well, then, just <laughs> this is the pie. I don't know what to say, man. Until it feels right, you just have to keep going. Christoph Joner, uh, or whatever Jesse comes down on as the pronunciation. I thought he as an actor did the most he could with what he was given. I like him. I, I actually thinking about him. I do like him in mission impossible fallout as well. He was in the revenant too. Oh shit. Oh, I don't so remember a, a single an, person. He from that is movie. an actor. Yeah. He's a real actor. Uh, he definitely he's the pride of Norway. Apparently. And also, so you, wait, you said it was the Norwegian who Norman Reedus. I thought uh, his wife's character played by, Anna Daltorp was the Norwegian Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah, I like that. Don't just breeze through that. That was an easy name, Charles. Don't act like you just <laughs> came up with that shit so brilliantly. You put a little hood on it. Anna Daltorp. Daltorp? Yeah, and it also had somebody that I recognized who is in, I think, uh, a different Norwegian. I've seen a Norwegian movie before, guys. Whoa. I just got to tell you, this isn't my first time in norway cinema in fact roar uthog our director our boy (laughs) roar our our boy roar uh he directed uh cold prey also known as which is a norwegian slasher movie that i saw ages ago and it's fucking great i love that movie it's like a norwegian jason yeah, and then after uh, after that, he got picked up in the U.S. He made the new Tomb Raider movie, which I didn't end up seeing. Uh, I didn't see it either, and I think I will now. I'm not surprised he has kind of a background in horror because I think he was able to create some moments of genuine tension that, to me, 
only served to point out how listless the rest of the film was. Like there were occasional moments where I was like, oh, oh shit, this is actually like, there's something here. There could be something fun and engaging and tense. But so much of the film is spent with just this very flat, just very boring uh, atmosphere that it it didn't, it, it didn't hit enough, but I could see him being able to create that in a different kind of genre. Yeah. I don't know that we need to talk about it too much because I, but I do think so. One of the, I was trying my best. I, I'm going to be honest. You guys are, if you want this to move forward, I'm going to like, you need to try to convince me. Cause this was, this was the first movie where I'm like, I feel nothing. I don't feel at all connected <laughs> to living in a crisis situation because of the way it handled everything in it. We yeah. sort of talked about, I was like, Oh, maybe they'll get into people not being capable of doing their job right. and it'll be like watching our government. But it didn't, didn't really it. do anything for me there. I was like, oh, well, maybe we'll get a sense of like being with loved ones and having a family unit and like trying to figure out things together and live together and be together. No. This fam, like he's he like sticks in shit that doesn't feel real. Like the whole talk about having the house has a soul and like as though I like he tried very hard to make us feel like there's this city versus rural or like this guy moving on to a new job everyone had a fucking yeah well shit to do like you put that in to be like okay let's make sure it's a character and not just like a right a person that we know as an actor running around different scenarios yeah so my hope was oh maybe i'll feel like con- like confined with loved ones or like how we're feeling now if you if you live alone or you live with people like this idea that you're trapped and i think what's hard is if you look at the, our list of all the pre-event disaster movies is disaster movies are very different than a every other crisis right you either try to play up like armageddon and i was surprised by armageddon because that is a movie where they spent more time about preparing for because they hadn't enough time to deal with it so like you get to spend actually a lot of time looking at how you deal with a crisis this kind of disaster movie it's the beautiful 10 minute ticking clock which see that's a fucking absolute bullshit no, it sucked, man. They can you okay? That was great. Em, emptying out a hotel, going door by door, knocking on the door. That would take fucking three hours to clear okay, out a hotel. Yeah, that that was that was silliness. Oh, uh, skateboarding around like th- nothing happened in ten minutes. So make it a two-hour ticking clock. Just like make it a believable amount of time but where the I actually feel the tension. Ten minutes is actually accurate, probably. Like that yes, is but how they, long it would take for the wave to travel from yeah. that area to the nice little beach yes but then you can't say oh it's a 10 minute ticking clock and then give me an hour or two of content that would actually be believable in clearing a hotel out driving back and forth saving like so much shit happens in those 10 minutes that i was just like this is fucking bullshit so the ticking clock did the opposite it took me out of the movie and it took me out of feeling like i was undergoing some really intense experience well okay so i i uh I don't fully agree with you. I think the issue that I had with... So obviously, the wave comes at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You've seen the trailers. You know that wave is coming. I stopped watching the trailer. I was like, I don't think I want to see the wave. Really? Because it is, by far, the best part of the movie. Yeah, it's great. Those the shots wave of the is wave fucking rad. Are fucking rad. And it should, if it had just been 10 minutes of the wave and not seeing anything happening with the people... That would have been sweet. I think that would have been a much better movie. Well, okay, so here's the issue. You have a town where you you always assume that 
Well, you know that this is a possibility, right? Everybody, I really got the sense that everyone in this town, if you grow up in this town, you know there's a possibility of a of a landslide, you know? Um, if you're coming to this town as a tourist, someone told you that there's probably, there's a likelihood, not, not, a, there's a possibility. You know that it's a possibility that a wave is going to come. And they have a siren, right? They have a siren to alert everybody, and nobody's like, hey, what the fuck is that siren? Yeah. Everyone's like, okay, the siren. We're going. We, I can't believe it's finally happening, but it is happening, so I'm going to take my minute to stare, and then I'm going to, like, jump into action. It's interesting because I was we were talking about the beginning of this uh, episode, how we have this conception of bigger scale. And I, I think, Charles, you're, you're, you're tipping on a specific thing, which is that like this time, this this ticking clock, this stretch out in order to make this movie work, you'd have to make it more unrealistic. They already made sort of small scale things unrealistic, like the, the hotel or uh, people just sort of knowing what to do. But they needed to build. No, I think that is realistic. Yes. I think it's realistic that everyone in this town would be like, okay, and just so you know, if you hear that siren, you need to leave immediately. And you know what, Jesse, would have been a cool movie is to like have the first hour be like a culture based on that fear. I agree. I absolutely mm. agree. So that we don't have to be like, oh, why does everyone know what this sound means? Like if if we spent the first hour being with people rather than being like, oh, let's move away from our soulful home to the city and like have all this fucking bullshit that's trying to make me think these people are real. Like- Show me a people that are living in fear yeah, totally. all the fucking time. That well, would have been fucking they're, cool. They are trying to do that ineffectively. Like, if there's a character trait of our lead, it's he's obsessive, right? And, like, everyone is bad at their jobs. We, we can just assume that. But out of everybody, he's the one who's like triple check. They reference it. He triple checks everything. They sure do. Because <laughs> I guess he's a nerd who, like, doesn't want fucking everyone to die. Um, that's what's great about this movie is that it's not even that these people are incompetent they're just really like they just like eating cake yeah like that's the most joy you see from these people is they love lunch (laughs) they love going to work so they can have very european of them right like what do these (laughs) people do because he they they, sit around and fucking throw rocks in the water well they like like watch fish sandwiches there's this whole scene where the, the the measuring team that or the geologists they get some measurements that the the thing is contracting whatever that means specifically in geology and and we don't know what that means but they're like no that couldn't possibly happen that's really weird and then he finds in a binder the fact that before like yes. the <laughs> only other time this has happened that's exactly what happened so what else are you thinking about right. what what else do you know about if that's your job if not the yeah. time that this happened before and killed a bunch of people every single one of those appointments to this organization was somebody's nephew or niece just being like you got a government job but so this is derek where i i agree with you is if they wanted this to be about corruption or just general buffoonery of like they needed to show a culture where either they were living in fear all the time which i thought could be interesting or a culture that is completely forgotten about this fear where like they do end up hiring people that don't know what they're doing because it feels far away and it doesn't matter anymore or something but like they just give it to us like it's facts, and then we are given no choices, the audience, to just be like, well, that fact makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, that that is a good way to put it, because what ends up happening is the wave hits, and then there's like 45 minutes left in the film. Yeah, I pause and you're just, to be like, wait. Me too. Fucking, 
yeah. movie is left. The, <laughs> the wave is done. And then it's like, okay, the rest of the film is just, let's figure out this one set piece, which was like not a bad idea. The idea of being in this hotel and you're trapped and there's water coming into this room. That's an interesting set piece, but there is no context around it that makes us really care or understand other than the fact that we know this is a family. And yeah. And like, yeah, I will say shouts. I, I was reading on the Wikipedia page shouts to the actors because apparently there were no stunt doubles in this movie. Everything was completely done by the actors. And the scene it. where everyone's trapped in the flooding room is uh, effective in kind of a vacuum. But we don't really have any reason to watch it because the wave has already happened. Right. That's it. Right. right. The, and that's, the yeah, that's, balloon has been popped and is slowly deflating throughout right. the rest of the movie. So right. let's yeah, so let's talk about what happens because this is why I think for me I was very out of this movie because for a pandemic it is like we're going through stuff that's like months, years. Like it's it's the long haul of being isolated and unsure of what's happening and feeling afraid. And so this so this separates our two uh, main people. Um, we got the son, the skateboarding son, fucking doing some sick tricks in the basement. Yeah, okay. And the mom. I I will say also I li- I like the the um the skateboarding in the basement. I thought that was a perfectly reasonable way for them to go down there, and it also grounded yes. it in like, okay, this kid has gr- this kid is very upset about leaving the town, and he. It's clear that he's gone to the basement to do tricks throughout his whole <laughs> life, and this is like his last time to do it. I thought that was a nice thing, and it didn't feel like a contrived way to get um, the everybody no. down in the basement. Sure, yeah. I would totally agree with you. I think that that is probably the most, even though it was really dumb watching like a frosted tipped blonde boy yeah. just like skateboard goofily in the basement, it didn't, it wasn't fun to watch because it, it made it seem like he was cool or like the director thought this was like cool shit going on and it was just really dumb. Very Norwegian. <laughs> very, very Norwegian. It's like, look at this cool kid listening to music <laughs> on giant headphones that are plugged by a cable into an iPod shuffle. Right, yeah. Um, so he's down there and the mom, so mom split up and the, so, and this was the other weird thing is like, yeah, they really wanted this connection to the family being about the home and like leaving. Mm. And it's an interesting idea. It just didn't work for me. But like, so the, uh, daughter and father go back to the house where they've thrown away everything. It's totally empty. So that's how they split them up is by the daughter brings her father who's ready to move on back to the house while the mother who loves the house has to stay at the hotel. Yeah. And the son is like, I want to I want to fucking jack off on this king bed. Yeah, I want to yeah. fucking watch some porn and drink some whiskey. Can I, can I say too, when they go back to the house with the daughter and the father takes her <laughs> mattress from the dumpster yeah. and then just kind of like throws her on it with a blanket and it's like i'll just sleep in this chair that was also in the garbage i was like i was a little thrown by yeah by the standards you of cleanliness that, that, that i mean that it was only was in there for like a day it hadn't rained it was yeah fun. okay guys who among us hasn't taken a mattress out of a dumpster and you know slept on it and poured yeah. themselves a neat whiskey i don't know <laughs> you know sometimes just you might even know this having lived there but sometimes people say wow, New York City really feels like a character in this movie, in this TV show. Sure. That dumpster, dumpster, I think, was fifth build. 
the amount of play it gets. He, got, it, he, it he gets fishes out of, some. It gets a lot he, of. He gets time. his binders back out of there. He gets a chair out of there. He, he gets the mattress out of it's there. It's the thing that jogs his memory to go and get the box of binders. It sure does. Uh, That's the that box of binders. Maybe the unsung hero, a featured player. I loved, I loved too the binders being used to uh, explain <laughs> to the geologists a very basic concept <sighs> about how rock slides yeah. happen. Yeah. He's like that's so. This is the problem. This is like the character, like the the um, Inception. What's her name in Inception? Mall being the no 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 being the character. Oh no no the Ellen uh, Page. Ellen Page. Yeah, the Ellen Page. Like this, basically, the entire team of scientists was the Ellen Page. (laughs) Where like they just used them to be like, wait, what? And then the guy would be like, oh, this. Right. And it's like, wait, no, you all should know this, given where you were. Why are you leaving? None of these people know basic geology, and you're putting them in charge of protecting <laughs> this he's town. He's become a capitalist. He's become a capitalist, and he's going to work yeah, at the oil industry. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, so our main hero, um, Christian, he and his daughter spend some lovely time drinking whiskey and sleeping at their house, and he sleeps in a chair, which seemed very uncomfortable. Yeah. Could you imagine him being have to run the next day? Like having slept in a really uncomfortable chair all night? Yeah. It would have been tough. Getting, if it's anything like a Ikea chair, it's not He good. like drinks himself to sleep in a chair, just sort of watching <laughs> the mountains with his daughter right there. Mm. Seems like a really unpleasant night, to to be honest. Yeah. And then he he drives somewhere and he drives somewhere else and he drives somewhere else or something. And then... Uh, well, yeah. he endeavors to escape the wave once he effectively warns the the scientists that the wave is gonna happen god yeah yeah, the more i think about this it's just they're so the the fact that this movie is appears to be endeavoring to show a more realistic vision of a disaster and they also have these truly incompetent and mediocre people at the helm. Right. It, it it feels very deflating. And then to spend the last 40 minutes after we've had all this lead up, we've had the wave, which I found compelling, but I, I think part of that no, is the wave? because yeah. the wave, the imagery of the vicious. wave is really amazing. Yeah. The wave looked like an, a creature. It was like, oh, yeah. There were two shots in this movie that were amazing. Yeah. And they lasted for three seconds. And I was like, wow, this movie. If they had spent more time on the wave, as the title, I hoped it would do. Yeah. Uh, right. But yeah, so they end up in a basement. Well, well. So after the wave hits, you still have this separation. You've got uh, Christian. He's on the mountain with his daughter. He survived. They both survived, and he's like, "Okay, you're gonna stay with our neighbors, and I'm going to go back down the mountain to find your brother and mother." And that's the rest of the movie, him going through the waste uh, that this town is. Um, Which looks good. Yeah. It's some, like some very shit. compelling imagery. It looks a lot like hell, yeah. honestly. The bus, yeah. the bus was a really like terrifying place when he actually goes down into this overturned tourist bus that had been coming from the hotel. Right. Which, gotta say, uh, in hindsight, maybe, maybe the mother of the family is responsible for that bus uh, not making it because she like didn't let them leave because she wanted to find her son. And it maybe delayed them a little bit. So, and I've been thinking about that a lot. 
Well, I've been thinking about how not only given the time it takes to how long do you think it takes to board a bus? How long do you think in a a panic situation to get 40 people onto a bus? Multiple minutes, I would say. That would take at least eight minutes. And so then you're adding the hour and a half to completely get people out of the hotel. It's just like, I know I talked about it, but it was just like, it's not her fault. It's the screenwriter's fault that they had... Well, the hotel is ridiculous. Well, thing it's nitpicking. To try to... It's it's the film isn't willing to either go. We're going to go completely unrealistic or completely realistic. Right. I, I know this is nitpicky, but like a hotel in this town needs to have something in a loudspeaker situation. That's like, get out of your room. A fucking tidal the wave bus is, is leaving in three minutes. Right. You have you know, this is a fucking possibility. This town exists with this knowledge and they still have a system where you have to go around to each room and knock on doors is like ah it's so just, fucking... it just didn't track right like no. like this woman's husband's entire job is to prevent this inevitable thing from happening and even she at one point pulls out a binder to look through the emergency preparedness manual for yeah. what to do in a tsunami and it's like, make up your minds, guys. Either this town is like totally locked in and ready for this, and that's interesting, or like they don't care. Like there could have been a scene where the the, the main character, the father, Christian, is at like a town hall meeting and they're talking about cutting funding for something and he's right. arguing that we know yeah. it's gonna like there could have been a million things they could have done. Or he could have been wipe it could have had just a shot of him wiping his ass with the tsunami emergency right. procedures. <laughs> Either way. Throwing it in the toilet. Yeah, either of those things. A town hall meeting or a good shit wiping scene. Right, either exactly. would have been great TV. This, honestly, I'm glad you mentioned TV. This, to me, felt like a Hallmark movie from the 90s. And yeah. it's part of it is that like you have characters that shouldn't be in the movie. Like You spend so much time, the whole opening of the movie, you spend with all these dumb researchers, and then they just vanish for the last half. But then they're there. It's like, why aren't they doing anything anymore and like the guy who gets his foot crushed by a rock is just like magically back in his cabin it's like yeah i wanted all those people to die <laughs> yeah uh, that would have been amazing would have felt more appropriate to be fair arvid does literally vanish as he is swept away yeah but by a all of them of needed to go down that fucking rock slide dude i love that scene too he's like this this rope that we've established as holding two people throughout the entire movie is now this is a one only gonna hold one so i'm gonna gandalf my shit i'm unclipped <laughs> yeah. sorry Footboy. i'm out i was like why did you guys design that couldn't you have made a system that would hold the two people you send down every single time well they did earlier in the movie it was supporting right. two people just fine well but okay, man so arvid knows it, arvid knows nothing about we, uh, science yeah, geology arvid. but he knows how much support a carabiner can hold. And he knows how to manage people. Yeah, Arvid's sure. a government bureaucrat. He's a pencil pusher. He's not used to getting dirty. This is... I'd like to stop talking about this movie soon. <laughs> no, no, I, we can't yet. I, I do want to talk about one last scene. No, no, um, I, I agree. Which, There's a couple other things. Why don't you talk about that scene, though? So the, the it climaxes with um, Philip, some loser who's living in the hotel, with his wife who's swept away yeah. and he's sad about I love it. This. And then uh This is my favorite part Mama of the movie. And skateboarder. So they're all three trapped. The water's coming in. And then in a scene that I'm not I have to ask you guys what you felt and what you were supposed to feel, but there's a scene where Philip just starts drowning other people. And then the mom is forced to drown Philip. Yeah, that yeah. was wild. It gets dark. 
Like she has to but it, tell her teenage son, like, don't look at me. Like, close your <laughs> eyes. I'm going to drown yeah. this man. It gets really... Thankfully, I've been doing my morning Kegel routine. <laughs> that that so was really drown special. This. I loved it. That was honestly the kind of vibe I could have gone with for the rest of the film if they'd gone in that direction of being a little more existentially horrifying of like people dealing with this terrifying situation and making these kinds of choices. Right. But instead, it just felt really out of place. Yeah. Because the rest of the film well, felt like a TV movie. Well, because for the movie. first time, you're like, oh, shit, I'm watching a compelling movie. Right. Yes. And everything up in to that way. was like, oh, uh, this is just paint by numbers disaster film. Yeah. I think, Derek, you mentioned this earlier, but yeah, if, if the movie sets you up to, like, it's the PSA thing is, it is, yeah, it's like, it's boring. And it's set up in a way that's like, oh, we're going to, this is going to be a very, like, by the numbers, sort of boring, but rudimentary, like, look at how a, a problem happens. And then you get fucking Philip drowning people for no reason. It was incredible. Like, he even was if you were the most. panic attack. Right. How yeah, I but he it. he wasn't just having a panic attack. He was having a panic attack in which the only symptom was him drowning people. <laughs> right. He wasn't flailing. He wasn't trying to grab something and freaking out. He wasn't hyperventilating. He was drowning. Yeah, people. it was so strange because he started by flailing, which makes right. sense. You're trying to stay up and he's knocking people down by accident. And then he was just like two hands on her teenage son, just <laughs> holding him underground as she's like, hold the ceiling, Philip, hold the ceiling. And so this is where the tension of this movie throughout has always been misplaced so they like think oh how do we make this scene interesting oh we have someone almost drown right. and then she drowns him and then later the fucking hero man Christoph is like Christian whatever his name is he's he's got lungs of, of a merman yep. he's swimming for minutes 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 and then at the end they're like oh fuck how do we make tension oh he's drowning uh, I guess uh, he'll yeah, drown he Oh, okay. Well, that's actually interesting. Now we have to see these people live with the death of their father. It's like, okay, finally something interesting's happened. But nope, he's successfully CPR'd. Well, you have to have a sequel, right? Well, you do. It's called the quake. Yeah, the quake. I just I was looking it up, and we could talk about that. But I I will say again, this seems like nitpicking, but it's so easy for a movie to establish that someone has a an above normal skill set of some kind that allows them to do something unbelievable. They could have had something where maybe Christian went swimming every day because they live right on right. the thing. And you could have started with him practicing like diving and holding his breath. There could have been any number Derek, of I'm gonna things. Even, I'm going to one-up you in that. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Like, yes, I believe that he can breathe for four minutes underwater. Then you just don't have another scene where he can't. Yeah. Like, you can't have it both. This is the movie where this is why I didn't feel connected to it because it was trying to do two things at once and it succeeded at none and it didn't do anything to make me feel like I was living through any sort of crisis. Right. And this nitpicking we're talking about, you don't nitpick a good movie. No. Well, no. You nitpick a bad movie because you have nothing left to focus. I've talked about this before. It's like, you only notice problems in movies when you're not involved and your brain's like, oh, that doesn't make right. sense. Yeah. But if you're like, you're watching a movie that's fun or exciting or interesting or scary, like you might notice them, but your brain's like, I don't care. I'm, I'm interested in what I'm right. doing. I, I will say, I think that this movie had less like nitpicky problems than say Armageddon. I think Armageddon it has tons of issues that don't make any yeah. sense. But, but it's a very fun movie. Yeah. You're yeah. just you're just in it. You just it's a weird you're watching fun the movie. Boys. It's it's got a, a great vibe. It's it's very entertaining. And yeah, I think you're totally right, Charles, that this you we just I could never disappear into this movie. The whole time I was just thinking like, why did he do that? Why is that happening? Why'd she go there? Yeah. 
I feel like this is really embodied by what is probably my favorite scene in the film when I want to hear it. So it, this is after uh, we didn't touch on it all. Cause why bother? Uh, the whole <laughs> like, uh, Christian is having a freak out over like how nobody's doing their job appropriately. And he like leaves his kids for two hours while he investigates the fault. Uh, yeah, and then they're car. like, I'm going to go. Uh, they go and stay at the hotel. They can just walk there. And so then he's on the outs with uh, Idun, the wife. Um, oh, yeah. And and so now it's like, okay, we've set up the... Uh, there's an argument, kind of, but then they, they go their separate ways. The mom and the son in the hotel, the dad and the daughter going back to the house. And they're <laughs> the dad and the daughter go back to the house. And this is... I burst out laughing when i heard this the daughter says in norwegian uh daddy are you and mommy getting a divorce <laughs> and Classic. He, he's just like he says no we just had an argument and then both of them are just like that's life great end of scene this is a symptom of this thing where it's trying it's trying to do two things at once in this is how it knows how to create tension is Oh, we have this loving family. They're all so beautiful together. This is like a super nice dad and he treats his kids. And then he has like one weird argument that isn't even really an argument. It's like, oh, I got sidetracked by my job. The kids came to you. Sorry, I maybe should have called you. It's like, it's, I don't know, anyone in a relationship is like, it didn't seem like a big deal at all. And then her daughter's like, are you guys going to get divorced? Yeah. Oh, Charles, oh. I read it the complete opposite way. I thought the film was leaning into the fact that this really isn't a big deal. And in a way, like, them having that moment is, like, a weird dig at movies that, like, try to create characters. No, but that's... They were trying to create characters. I... Like, this is the whole thing. Like, they spent so much time on it. He texts her. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. Whatever he texts her. It's like, they made this into a 10-minute part of the movie where I was trying to be, like... Look at this tension. They're split up now. Right? How are they going to? Yeah, are they but the find whole time they're again? doing it in like a quote-unquote realistic way. Like nobody's blowing up. Nobody's like saying they're going to divorce. Right. And I, I felt like that moment is like, oh, you're you're just you're just interested in watching people go around and do things, not in the actual people. That kind of uh, for me that felt like the movie showing its hand. Um, in oh, interesting. Respect. I'll be honest. I think my theory is that the little girl was worried about her parents' relationship because they weren't actively fucking each other in front of her, which is sort All of the time. which is sort of what it is established as their baseline ahead of that is that they yeah. will, do, which I have like, no problem with. Which is great, but it's also that's a like, great that's, characterization. That's like the only way that they can kind of establish closeness between these two people is that they want to make out, and their kids are like, oh, not on the kitchen counter, guys. You know, it's yeah, like, Jesse. I think you're giving this movie more credit than it deserves. I do not think there's anything like meta or underhanded. This is like their way in every other way. There's so much evidence of them. This is how they create characters. This is how they try to like make you think that there's a real person here is through unbelievable unearned tension. I don't know. We got to watch the it's special Philip drowning features. people. We got to hear from Roar himself. I guess so. We got to hear the lion roar. Don't want to. Also, the quake sounds so sad as a film because it starts with them all getting divorced and christian ending up alone and then like what wait what? sounds great yeah the first I let, watch me read, this. let me read the first line of the wikipedia uh, plot entry for the quake 
A year after the rock slide in Geranger, geologist Christian Eichjord is prepared to appear on a talk show and is hailed as a hero for saving hundreds of lives in the disaster. Three years later, Idun is divorcing him and he is separated from Sandra and Julia. Christian is living in seclusion in the mostly rebuilt Gerinder while his movie, his family moves to Oslo. Eden has a new job as a hotel worker at the Radisson. Great. I love it. Yeah. Sure. I mean. She can't escape her calling. Seriously. I mean, that sounds honestly like a very interesting movie. Wow. That sounds way that. <laughs> more interesting. I mean, it's a new director. We lost uh, Roar. We got John. All right. Andreas Anderson. If we have time in the next week. Let's just circle back and watch. Yeah, peak the quake. Yeah. But uh, maybe we can hit on anything we haven't talked about yet at the end of the pod, but I'd love to get into a film now that is only about characters. Sorry, guys. Uh, Can I just take a quick moment to pee? Uh, We can edit this out. I can leave my shit recording. It'll take me like 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, go, go, go. Okay. My bad. Yeah. Wow, how unprofessional. It's a little boy trying to do a man's... Charles, what is this podcast brought to you by? Um, this pod, this podcast is brought to you by a fresh jar of Derek's Piss. Mm. Are you out of Derek's Piss, Jesse? I am. Well, thankfully, there's a subscription service now at derekspiss.com where you, for only $100 a week, can get d- delivered to your door... A uh, uh, a mason a mason jar full of Derek's piss. Yeah, that's right. What what have you? What do you do with Derek's piss, Jesse? I've been using Derek's piss for thirty years. And what? I mean, that's a long time. So it's what? What kind of a real elix- It's an elixir. It you rub it all over with, your body. You rub it on your body. Gives you a nice glowing sheen. I mean, sometimes I put it in a little gin and drink it uh, right before bed. Oh, that's a great way to do it, too. Yeah, there's no wrong way. That's the slogan here at I've Derek's been cleaning piss. out com. my left ear with Derek's Piss. There you go. There's no wrong way. Whatever you do. So please use the hashtag Derek's Piss and tell us what you do with Derek's Piss. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry guys. Uh, I, I right. had my coffee right before recording. <laughs> and we're so back. My apologies. Uh, oh, well, thankfully, we have sponsors this week. <laughs> so, so uh, Derek, uh, Derek, you chose uh, Melancholia. and I did. You know, a little thing we like to... We got to get into the mind of the chooser. Right. Because we did record the full draft, and it was uh, the wrong entry point to the podcast, but there was a lot going on when we were making these decisions. So what, what like, if you were to think of one word, only one word, why you picked Melancholia? Uh, that one word would be jesse uh because wow. tell us more fucking a. i've never seen this movie uh because jesse uh came to me one time after seeing it right when it came out and essentially i if you're comfortable with me sharing a little bit about this jesse <laughs> essentially just, well this is this is your whole lead into the thing so <laughs> go ahead basically uh it, he found this film extremely upsetting upon viewing and seemed quite shaken when I talked to him the next day. And I uh, decided at the time that I was curious about it, but ultimately didn't want to fuck with that shit. Uh, And in thinking about quarantine and movies and stuff like that, the way they connect, I like the idea of a movie that captured 
this kind of crisis as a fully depressing and sad experience, which seems to be a big part of a lot of people's experience of the COVID-19 crisis. So I, I, I wasn't thinking of it from a sense of, I want to watch this. It was more that this makes sense to include it was more like, in what uh, we're doing. Let's mm. make Jesse watch it. Again. <laughs> I don't want to watch it, but I know Jesse doesn't. And uh, we're going to make that happen. This is the 2011 movie uh, written and directed by Lars von Trier. It's a part of his depression trilogy right in the middle between Antichrist and Nymphomaniac. Have you guys seen those movies too? I've had the pleasure of watching Antichrist. Haven't really found it in me to go to yeah nymphomaniac mostly because it's fucking two uh installments long and uh, it just seems like yeah a i lot. saw so i saw nymphomaniac in theaters i bought a ticket to volume one they were showing both at the same time that's how mm-hmm. it was released and i immediately left the theater and went back in line and said one more ticket to volume two please so i did sit through and watched both volumes back to back um i mean you gotta do that i mean i i I saw antichrist in theaters uh which was a very wild experience as a 19 year old uh and then did not see nymphomaniac because uh antichrist was very unpleasant to watch uh as a film yeah and I think so this this is an interesting middle middle movie um if you do consider this to be a a trilogy a lar- part of a larger story um it is actually probably the least maybe the the least unpleasant Lars von Trier movie that I can think of I agree yeah that that's fair yeah so it's it's actually like you guys were I hadn't seen it since it came out and you're all like oh it's I'm dreading watching this I can't I don't really want to watch this I was like Jesus I must have forgotten a bunch uh but no it's it's actually quite a like calm it's a very calm lvt movie oh absolutely yeah in in his uh in his catalog this is probably the most palatable um, yeah if you especially if you go back to i mean no actually if you just go back to antichrist that that one's rough oh that, that's a tough God. one yeah but i feel like that's like sort of how he made his mark was making movies that are like hard to watch yeah and yeah um it's sort of yeah this is a I'm I'm into this. I'm actually don't mind. I'm I'm sort of enjoying being with these sad people. Yeah, I was totally. I was fully ready to have to sit through some disturbing shit, uh, and I was very surprised by the end that the the worst that it got for me was just a general unpleasant and kind of depressing atmosphere. That was more what I was reacting to when we were kind of talking about it. Is that it's not a particularly fun movie to watch uh but it's certainly not as actually like aggressively disturbing as like the antichrist like self-mutilation yeah, scenes and, and things mm-hmm. like that yeah dancer in the dark's also yeah a real bummer so this is this is a movie that um it's it's basically it's very easy movie to describe because there's very little plot as Jesse was saying earlier it is very much about the characters um basically the earth is doing its fucking thing it's just spinning and doing its thing just out in vibing. space and then it's just vibing uh, out there's there. another rogue planet called melancholia which in the opening minutes of the scene, uh, movie we see destroy the earth and then uh, it's sort of led to believe that this the whole movie takes place before that as we watch um a fam with two sisters and their husbands and parents and Everyone get together for a wedding and then sometime later in the movie, watch the planet come closer to the earth. So it's two stories broken up into two parts. One sort of 
not from the perspective of, but sort of more focus on the first part on Justine, played by Kirsten Dunst, and the second part of the movie is about her sister, Claire, played by, um, what's her name, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Right, and I think uh, before we before we dive too into this movie, I think we should just take a very brief uh, moment to acknowledge that Lars von Trier as a director uh, has uh, done some really fucked up, terrible things and is probably not a good person. Uh, we're going to treat this movie as a sort of text on its own, but uh, just I think it is important to acknowledge that Lars von Trier is, is a really shitty dude. And we don't know half of the shit that Roar Ulthog has gotten true. into, so he could be a real fucker That's true, as well. he could. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, this movie, especially this is a movie about depression. Um, Lars Venture obviously has some serious mental health problems, which yes. is, uh, you see that in the symptoms and the way that he treats people and the way that he behaves and the way that he thinks and what he says. He is a fucked up person that I do not want to be friends with. And no. I think he's definitely in that category of like Kubrick's and other people that like abuse actors in a way to probably elicit performances because his movies are about very intense things that are hard to watch. And we were talking offline about like Shelley, Shelley Duvall in, in The Shining. Right. Like, can you get a performance like that without having her undergo months of being treated like basically a caged animal by Jack Nicholson and Stanley Kubrick? Mm. I think uh, it's interesting that we paired these two movies together in particular. Um, they're both uh, on paper disaster movies, and um, they're they're basically opposites uh, in the way you feel watching them and and what the filmmaker is interested in. Lars is only vaguely interested in uh, the idea of the any of the science in this film is given a passing glance. Uh, I yeah. think they have like one or two scenes um, where they talk about what the planet Melancholia is going to do. The The whole first half of the film, which uh, to me is the more unpleasant half, mm. yeah. um, is uh, completely devoid of Melancholia. There's there's no <laughs> mention. Well, there's, there's no Melancholia the planet, but there is plenty well, right. of there's no Melancholia planet. the There's the no emotion. disaster. Well, the wedding's a disaster, but... Um, oh my God. I, the scene with what's-his-name playing the wedding planner? Udo Kier. She ruined my wedding. I cannot look yeah. at her. That for like is just so 10 fucking scenes. funny. It, I giggled every time that yeah. happened. So I think for a movie that the wave where there's like, they tried so hard to make you feel connected to people and this, like he can throw out like a nothing and it's like connects me with this man. And I feel like a part of this party, like as though I'd been sitting there waiting for hours for something to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it is interesting. There is science. There is uh, this kind of, uh, I don't even think it's just a passing thing. The scientific conversation it almost seems like one of the characters that we are to think uh, poorly of or is kind of an object of some derision is Kiefer Sutherland in some ways. And he is the only one who's actually interested in the science and the science that he feels very comfortable and blows up in his face. So it's like, it, it is almost a film that kind of positions itself antithetical to this sort of scientific approach to disaster uh, and, and fear and all of that. Now, I have, I have a question for you about Kiefer. Did you get the sense um, that he was a scientist? So just for people who might not have rewatched it, Kiefer Sutherland plays Claire's husband. Um, so, and Justine's what, brother-in-law? Mm-hmm. 
So he's like one of the main three characters. He's right. a very big part of the second and he's pretty important in the first. But yes, um, sorry. He, I don't think he is a scientist. No, he's he is a very rich man that wears ties when he doesn't need to. Mm. He's a hotel manager. He owns this property. He's very proud of his golf course. I think How he, many holes? 18 holes, baby. Okay, just want to make sure. Uh, I But I do think it's like, he sees this not as a threat, but as like something to go and watch. And I think like sort of if we were to like watch an Independence Day where the opening of that movie is like a bunch of people going up to the skyscraper to like look at the aliens coming and other people are like, what the fuck are these aliens going to do? I think this movie does create three characters that have very different reactions to the same event. Yeah, and uh, those three characters being uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Kirsten Dunst, and Kiefer Sutherland's characters sort of representing like this scientific curiosity in Kiefer Sutherland, Charlotte Gainsbourg, uh, genuine fear uh, and anxiety, and then Kirsten Dunst, this kind of nihilistic acceptance and uh, general pessimism towards all of uh, earthly life in general. Remember when the thing first started and there's all those dumb memes on social media, like humans are the virus? Oh, yeah. She would definitely be the one posting the humans. So, like, she'd be posting the humans are the virus posts. Charlotte Gainsbourg would be, like, posting mask, like, PSAs. Sure. Like, this is how you wear a fucking mask. Right. And Kiefer Sutherland would just be like, I don't know chilling with his homies Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland would, would be would be posting very detailed epidemiological rundowns on Twitter where he like explains right. how and why you know some like South Korea did the response correctly and yeah, like or maybe we should all be taking hydrochloric or whatever it's called because <laughs> who knows maybe it, it there might be studies showing that it is a preventative measure things yeah. like that where he's like definitely backing the wrong side of the science take yeah, mm-hmm. he gets it wrong. He gets it very wrong, uh, which I will be honest, it seems very hard for me to imagine how all the scientists could get this wrong because it seems like a pretty big thing to miss that it's going to come back and crash into Earth. But that's neither here well, nor there, well, ultimately. Hmm. This, this, is, this presents a, an interesting question about what happens in this movie. I really wondered if... The scientists got it right, or whoever it was that was responsible for tracking this planet, if they actually knew that the world was going to end and decided not to tell anyone. I was thinking the same thing. Interesting. Because we had that in Armageddon, where like most of the plot It's a common theme in these, because in a movie like The Wave, you can get away. You can... You can live like, in an, another town. It's not done effectively, but you can live after it, yes. I think that's why we, we were talking earlier about how like it is nice maybe to have a very small stakes disaster movie because like, oh, this is actually maybe how disasters would happen. But then I just don't think it translated into a movie that was that fun to watch because right. it was so small. And yeah. like at the end, they're like, it just like killed a few people and everyone's getting helped. It's like... I, you don't care enough about the main characters for that to translate into a fear of the event itself. Where right. this is like, oh, the whole whole world's gone. Whole world, Fucking. and everybody has different reactions to it. I, yeah, the thing that I drew between these two movies was uh, we were talking about this earlier. Um, how each of them treats inevitability. Mm. Um, in the wave, they talk about how. We don't know when, but it's this is probably going to happen. So right off the bat, it's like, 
you live in this town, you probably can expect this to happen sometime in 50 years that you're living there. Yeah. And then all of the scientists, they know it's going to happen someday, but when it actually happens, they're not, they're still not ready for it. They're like, don't believe that the inevitable is finally coming to be. And they're denying that up until the very end. And then the same could be, uh, if you look at melancholia through the same lens, it's like, if you have an inevitable event, a.k.a. the end of the world, how how do different people react to that? Right. And the way the two films deal with that is, I thought, very striking in its difference. Yeah, it was an interesting pair to look at. And, and I will be honest with Melancholia, I found the concept very interesting. Uh, and the world that they created, I would have almost rather seen any other people in that world and how they reacted to it than the people that we ended up with. Uh, I think the concept was really interesting, and I would have loved to have seen the scientists figuring it out and figuring out where they wanted to bury it, or, or, or just even any other kinds of people. But there was just something about this giant, uh, expansive 18-hole golf course and mansion as these people just kind of puttered around in that I found less compelling than I would have for another focus on the story. What I really like about this movie is that it's one of the few movies that we have... Well, it's the only movie that we've seen so far that has a character that is so fucked up. Like, I think this is a real thing where, like, the pandemic is happening and people uh, have had shitty lives before this. And this isn't actually making anything worse for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. this idea that this is affecting everybody, it's like, well, maybe it's not. Maybe this is actually someone's so depressed in life that this is actually a joyful event and like it doesn't matter to her and i think that's really interesting that she can live through this time of where a lot of people are freaking out and she's just so sad by everything and the people around her well that it doesn't mean very much to her you were talking we were talking about memes and like there's a whole set of memes that's like looking at what's happening now and being like oh yeah this is so different from what i do on a day-to-day basis hang out in my home work like work yeah. on my computer like you know who's not posting those memes people working at fucking whole foods people working at meatpacking totally so this like whole culture of oh this is such a huge change in life is coming from the exact kind of people that would be living in this mansion and the kind of people that so like it's it's interesting to see how it uses these three people to re- really showcase how it can affect everyone differently. And everyone can sort of see the same event as something that's so different to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the, the fundamental problem and why I didn't, why I don't like this movie. I think it's a, obviously a much better movie than the wave. And it's a movie that has a lot of interesting things in it, but what kind of threw me off from the start is that I don't like Kirsten Dunst's character. And I think her character is like really shitty uh, and probably similar to Lars von Trier, uh, has a mental illness that like she then kind of uses as an excuse somewhat to treat people like garbage, which I, like, I, I'm not I, sure that you've had much experience with people with mental health. If that's your response to oh, a character no. that has a mental health problem. I, I used to work in mental health. That's what I'm saying. So then why are you seeing this as an excuse? What I'm as seeing this, like, is this is, this, this is, she treats everyone terribly uh can you give me an example in in the wedding yeah yeah what are you talking about exactly so she uh well she cheats on her husband and basically abandons him the night of their wedding 
She's uh, incredibly rude to uh, the staff that are there the entire time. Like, I, I love the guy who was, like, very upset at her because I think that is the justifiable moral who? response. Which guy? The guy, the guy who kept the guy who kept covering his face when he, he didn't want to look at her because she was she was going through this entire party in this way where she would just kind of come and go. She was like pissing yeah. on the golf course is, and just abusing things. Th- when and, I watched this movie this time, um, I, I see this movie as the worst day in the life of two people. If you look at the wedding as Justine's story, it's the worst day of her life. If you look at um, the second half, and they are, the film is bifurcated. It Uh, is, yeah. Claire, that's the worst day of her life, where she has to come to grips with the planet actually coming, and all of her anxieties are real, realized. Yeah, and also to flip that, mm -hmm. it's almost like the best days of the other person's life, where you have Justine in the first half, like caring for her sister, doing something that she thinks is the right thing to right. do and, she's and like right being there the whole time she gets to be right about how yeah. goofy her sister is and how she can't do anything right and like how right. great of a sister she is but i mean and then the second half well, claire well, gets to be the person to that's about like the first half of this movie which well i just want to finish this, okay 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 this bifurcation where you have the two worst and then at the end uh, this is like her ex. This is her area of expertise, like living in a place where she wants to die. Mm, yeah, like yeah, having yeah. the end come. She's like, "Oh, I'm fucking set for this, I'm sister. Let rock. me help you out. Let me, right? Yeah, let me just like make a, a like a thing out of sticks. Like she's. It's so true. Like these are the two women who are forced to go through things that the other person is like more of the person forcing them along and gets to carry them. Right. And I really. I mean, for me, the the most unpleasant part of this movie is this woman go this woman who has mental health issues goes to her wedding and is um is basically betrayed by every single person that she interacts with, and none of them are just a, like accepting her for who she is, allowing her like her husband doesn't listen to her, her boss is like chasing her all yeah. over the place and like sending Ugh. some fucking amazing performance by brady corbett to like harass her at her fucking wedding (laughs) her dad won't listen to her and like leaves in the middle Mm. of the night and her mom is awful looney tunes level yeah but here's the thing i think her her mom is the only one that like maybe shares any sort of connection with her on that day because she's also being like this sucks this is not what you're supposed to be doing this is a bad institution I, I'm I just agree. Go take a I bath. agree, and but they, you can they both take see baths. you can see how that in a parent would be a bit oh, of yeah. a bummer. But I feel like she and her mom have probably the s- strongest unfortunate connection in that unpleasantness, where she sort of reaches out to her dad, and her dad just like goes and fucks one of the Bettys. Yeah, and like all she's left with is the mom that isn't treat. She treats her like shit, but right. that's her only connection really in that whole. Right first half yeah that's a that's a good point i mean i i think what made it harder for me to associate with justine was that they make very clear in the dialogue between her and her sister that she wanted all of this this was her dream wedding this is what she wanted it Mm. didn't feel that they like have that conversation i think that they forced this on her they did Derek. i don't she's like agrees with justine that this is what i wanted 
it, may like, I draw upon some personal experience? <laughs> yeah, please. From, and I wanted to talk more about just weddings in general during this pod, but... Me too. I'm glad uh, we watched this movie. We might get to this uh, in future episodes. Fingers crossed. Um, a wedding day for the bride and groom can be one of the worst days of your life. It, for me, it was amazing. And the reason for that was because the people around me listened to me, allowed me to be who I was. And if I was feeling a certain way, didn't say, like, didn't challenge that at all. And the whole, like, Kirsten Dunst shows up at that wedding or at the reception uh, in pretty good spirits, honestly. And then throughout the event is just cut down and cut down the whole time. Until at the end, she's looking up at the sky and saying, I wish a fucking planet would come and hit the Earth so I don't have to deal with this shit anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this... I th- And to Derek say that, like, she wanted this, I, I feel like even if in the script it says, yeah, I wanted this, it's like, have you never been in a situation where you lied to just appease someone? Like, all right, all right you're going to take care of it. Like, obviously, these people come from money and like this to them is what they want. Like, they take so much pride and they're like, I'm this costs more money than most people have in their entire life. And I'm only going to make a deal. Like, the deal is that you have to be happy. The deal is, John, played by Kiefer Sutherland, literally says, this is a good investment if you're happy. Hmm. So like, how yeah. do you say no? I'm not well, like, it's all set up. No, I'm depressed. Well, go yeah. fuck yourself then. Like, Right. It's crazy town. So like this this is why this movie I think is super successful at having a woman that can't be happy constantly be dealing with people telling her that she has to be happy. And that's why this isn't an excuse to treat people like shit. This is forced into a situation where that's like her only choice because she's not given a place to actually be who she needs to be. I mean, uh, that's fair. You guys bring up good points uh i found her character still to be needlessly sort of mean and cruel at times throughout the film like you 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 talk about the second half of the movie and how it's sort of this is justine's time to shine and when it becomes clear to claire that the the planet is going to crash into ours uh and she wants to just sit outside and hang out and listen to music and drink some wine and just be together like justine is just weirdly mean and tells her she thinks her plan is shit and like makes her cry after after claire was like totally caring and and sort of the person who picked her up and made clear she is the one that takes care of justine in this moment where she does need justine to be able to support her somewhat uh at the very end and maybe share with her what to do her solution is like your plan sucks it's bullshit and then all they do is they just kind of hang out and watch the world burn anyway. It, it didn't seem like there was a real purpose to her being so mean to her sister, who clearly has like sacrificed a lot to take care of her throughout her life. That's like the dynamic that we see of them yeah. this whole time. I mean, I I think you can have different readings of that, but uh, I really see it as like, it's a mirror image. Like at the end of uh, the first half, after all of this shit has gone wrong, uh, um, oh, uh, Justine turns to Claire and Claire's just like sometimes I, I hate you sometimes I hate you after like the worst wedding possible Claire's like sometimes I really hate you and then walks away 
And I, I kind of saw this, uh, the conversation you were talking about, Derek, as just a mirror image of that on the worst day yeah. of Justine, uh, uh, of Claire's life. Yeah, I think maybe I wasn't clear. Like, this isn't a moment for her to be like, oh, I'm finally prepared to, like, protect my sister or help her. It's like, no, this is just where she's comfortable. She's much more comfortable in a situation, just in the same way that uh, Claire is more comfortable being with rich people, hosting a wedding in her giant mansion. J- Justine's more comfortable as a planet's about to come and destroy the Earth. Like, this is just a, a moment where she can be herself. But look, I, I, you know... I have experienced depression plenty in my life. I've known a lot of people who have. And it's always, I think, been very clear to frame it as it's it's not something that can excuse the way you treat people uh, to have mental health issues. And it, it was just hard for me watching this. When she was most comfortable, she was really needlessly cruel to her sister who like, clearly takes care of her and has taken care of her a lot throughout her life. Uh, and that was that made it hard for me to connect with this character and feel. Yeah, well, you're supposed to be frustrated with her. She's like, it's unpleasant to be around her. I was a very empathetic to her character. Maybe Derek, you're just such a good fucking boy that you always treat people well. But like, I have siblings. I treat them like shit sometimes. Like, I understand the experience. I've been really depressed. It, I, it just is a movie that is, it's slow, it's deliberate, it takes its time, and it's just a really perfect expression of what it's like to be depressed mm. especially the opening scene is you know i like just that you brought up the inevitable this movie doesn't play around with whether it's going to happen or not it starts off showing you it's one of those movies like the end this is the end and yeah. then you get to watch how it gets there right and then the movie isn't even really about right. it anymore either it's just, it's like, just like okay we'll get there at some point lars von Trier is like you need to know that this isn't it doesn't fucking matter you're all gonna die and then you get to see this experience through that lens of the inevitable. Yeah, Charles, I definitely agree with your assessment. This film probably does. I mean, part of why I think I didn't like watching it, not because I thought it was like bad as a film per se, but an unpleasant film to watch is because it does capture the experience of being depressed like really astoundingly well. Uh, and I think Kirsten Dunst does an incredible job with with the the performance and and you get pulled into it and you come away from it feeling very sad and depressed which well, i don't know this is why uh, this is what's spawned the whole uh movie coming into the podcast uh tournament right yeah that's um, that's when why i, I chose this in it, theaters sure. i left the theater and i was depressed i was yeah. already like the reason that i don't like watching this movie is because it remi- and we're going to just it's important for you to know us, dear listener. Know yeah. us and know who we are and our journey. We're behind uh, you. When I watched this in theaters back in when it came out, 2011, 2012, I was depressed going into the movie. And then when I saw it, I was like, Ew. I found it very affecting. And I'm a, I'm a very different person now. And the way I watch movies is, I'd say, different at this point. But um, I, I found it very upsetting and i left the film like being very shitty to people around me because i i just heard something in kirsten dunst's character that's like she's right the earth is evil and i don't think that that's i mean that's not what i actually believe but like this film really you know if 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 you're someone who deals with either anxiety or depression you might watch this movie and have like a an acute reaction 
Um, it's very effective. Perfectly reasonable. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think, I mean, you bring up that the line, like all life on earth is evil. I think this is what I don't, this is kind of the, the, the inevitable stumbling block for me with all Lars von Trier films is that he hates life and existence to such a degree and his films are about how everything is is either meaningless or actively evil and bad. That it it's just a tough hang. It's a really tough hang. <laughs> it's a tough hang. Uh, it's a tough hang right now too. As right, like yeah. to watch Melancholia and maybe some of these other films uh, during uh, a time where stress is very high for a lot of people, for whom maybe it wasn't as acute before. This this is a tough watch, and if you watched it this week, you may be listening to us and thinking we're totally off base, or you're like really agreeing with us. Um, I'd love to hear what people who listen to this episode and uh, have watched these films think about what we're saying. Yeah, um, I mean, I, it's I'm very curious about what like all sorts of kind of people think about this film because the big problem that I run into right now during COVID-19 is it's become clear that like human beings aren't evil. It's like these systems of oppression and kind of power that we have in place that basically subject us all to this meat grinder that is, that is really evil. Uh, And I think like what we have seen with COVID-19 to kind of bring it back to that is that the countries that do respond to this well show us that it's not, inevitable that like pain and suffering is just unfettered in this time it's something that is happening because of a system of power and government that we have and so it's a little i i feel attached to this film a lot in the the gut emotional reaction of melancholia that comes with this entire experience but it's hard because i i right now i am more interested in and and drawn more towards things that are interested in examining power structures than i am in things oh i know that are into, we get it, Derek. We get it, yeah. Well, Actually, that's why I like this movie is that this is one of the few movies that like most of the movie is telling us how irrelevant this threat is. How like it if you you will react to this event as you react to everything else in your life. And I like that the main character of this movie doesn't give a fuck about the crisis. She has something else on her mind that is always on her mind that is fucking up her life far worse than melancholia does. Mm-hmm. So I think it does both. It does show that structures, like it does give us hints of like the structures that are like causing us problems, but it also ultimately is very personal. This is like the one of the few movies that like you can really take a lot of personal takeaways. Definitely. How dealing with a crisis is much more about yourself than about the world That being itself. said, I would love to see Michael Bay's take on melancholia. <laughs> you know, like I want to see those fucking rocket ships going up to the planet and attempting to like split it before it hit the earth and it just like this slides along idea. the sides of the earth i mean isn't isn't that just armageddon isn't <laughs> isn't that just michael bay's melancholia well, our is bigger than the oh, meteor okay there you go <laughs> yeah everyone everyone says that like there's only a few stories out there we're just recreating them i think jesse you're onto something in that we should just accept that choose one and just have and just, everyone just read, just redo totally. that story I mean, over. Isn't and over. That I would what love we're fucking to see doing with this podcast, looking yeah, at the same true. story over and over again in different that's, lenses. Yeah. I mean i I really would love to see Michael Bay have a disaster movie where the disaster can't be solved. I do think that would be really, really interesting. And I do think that is the most interesting part of this movie by far. Like you guys are saying, is like what happens when it is 
inevitable and everyone knows it and and we're all just going to die. I don't think most films are are afraid to go to that place and this film does and and it is incredibly effective the way that they demonstrate that. Mm. My closing argument, Derek, I think you brought me nicely to it is uh, and Jesse as well throughout the episode. This is both are dealing with inevitability. That's right. And I think what the wave failed at was to take advantage of that inevitability, either by showing us a town consumed by the inevitable. Like ultimately, like you're just basically you want to ask the question as well. If they all know they're all going to die, and this is a town of a hundred people, like why don't they move? And that's, like that's not an issue. That's not an issue that the story brings up. That's not an issue that the director is interested in. It's an in- it's a very interesting idea that is completely thrown away. So. It, the inevitability is a very big part of human existence and it's only made more aware and acute during a crisis. And that's why I think this is like, uh, yeah, I don't think either of you really convinced me as you probably weren't trying to, that the wave was really dealing with this in a great way. No, I, I mean, I was ready a... to launch into my campaign describing how the wave is uh critical watching for yeah. this time period. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think you bring up a good point. And, and something I was thinking about watching this is that there was a point at which I was really up in arms and active energetically about how we have to stop opening the country. People have to understand how can I make things happen. And then there was a certain point where I was like, this yeah. is just going to happen. I'm going to yeah. just watch the country reopen and genuinely hundreds of thousands of people die because of it. And there was a good stretch of time a few weeks ago where I just felt so sad all the time mm. until I finally just accepted it. And I kind of, in some ways, I do feel like Kirsten Dunst lying naked in the bathing in the light of melancholia. You sure do you, baby. Because it, it's true. There was a certain point where I had to just say, this is it. This is what's happening. We and I don't, I, yeah, I just have to kind of live in this new world now that we have. So yeah. I. I I mean, I, I think it's a very powerful movie during this time period, for sure. And I, I think that it is uh, deeply upsetting in a lot of ways. So if you're into that, then uh, then fire it up. <laughs> Check out, rate, and subscribe. Um, I, I We've talked a lot about... Um, I've, I found as we've continued this podcast, we've talked a lot about what people are interested in. What is the director interested in? Oh, the director's not interested in that. Michael Bay is not interested in that. Lars von Trier is interested in this. And I hate to lay it at the feet of Roar Uthag because I want to support this man, but, you know... <laughs> it, not sure why you want to, but I uh, I'm it. invested in the Nordic uh, film scene. He now. seems like a strong person. I think it's but, more you um, don't want to support Lars von Trier over. No, no, no. Seems, I I do want to support nice. Lars. I want to support any filmmaker that is interested in something. And when you watch the wave, you you don't have a vision. Um, mm. It it feels very by the numbers. And for whatever problems I have with melancholy, I don't think it's a perfect film. Um, but I do think that it captures emotion in a way that the wave doesn't. And um, as we've gone through these films, the emotional elements, the character elements are critical um, when we're looking at these films through our lenses. Uh, and I, I don't think that the, the wave can stand up to melancholy in this respect. So I think we all have locked in our votes at this point. Sounds like it. I think so. Charles, do you want to do the honors? Kick us off. Who are you voting to move to the next round of our tournament? To move to the next round and to go 
head-to-head against, well, we have that pick, right? Yeah, to go up against Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, I would like to send forward Melancholia. What? What? Really? <laughs> wow. Shock pick. You heard Crazy. it. Uh, you said it. I, I uh, think it's pretty apparent that the only film to choose between these two is Melancholia. So I'm, yes. I'm locking it in, and I'm really curious about the episode where we talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Melancholia together. Yes. So uh, it's not necessary for me to announce mine because we have a winner at two votes. But uh, yes, I'm also voting for Melancholia. Well, that's good. That's a relief. Oh, that's, what that's a nice. treat. Did you think that Jesse and I were were roaring up, were roaring up to defend the wave? Was that uh... Uh, Derek? Based on your track record so far, I couldn't tell you. You know, <laughs> can't quite pin it down. Listen, yeah. listen, Charles, my man. That's I don't know what you feel connected to. You you connected to and the band played on. You connected to I. Well, I uh, felt connected to and the band played yeah, on. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Sure, I, sure. I was. I had no idea what to expect because. I've been well. When you start March you know. Madness every usual year, you think you know what's going to happen. You think right. you know what team is going to advance, but then you're surprised. That's the beauty of sports. You don't yeah. know what's going to happen, and that's the beauty of podcasting. Well, Charles, I'm glad I could keep you on your toes. Want to make things interesting for, for you for another week? Yeah. So, uh, what we got next, guys? We're going back to the post side of the oh, bracket. The post side of the bracket. So good. We've got. Uh, our number four seed, uh, Snowpiercer, <laughs> the Chris Evans vehicle. It's actually a vehicle. This yeah. one's right. It's I a think train. When we watch this movie, we're going to see that this is actually a. This is actually vehicle. is a Chris Evans vehicle, and that'll be going up against uh, the f- future vampire action thriller Daybreakers, wow. starring Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe. So this is this is one of the, we're back in the like high versus low. Not the, we're not in the middle anymore. Right. So this is like a ninety two or ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes versus a sixty eight, uh, according to critics and fans alike. It should be a no brainer, but uh, we'll see what happens next week. You're gonna tune in to see the Frog Boys. Yeah, as we found out with uh, with Tank Girl, you never know. You never know where you're gonna go. So uh, what happens to uh, what happens to the wave now? Hmm. Is it? Uh, I was thinking just, about that. I think in the does honor it suffer of, just a bout of uh, crippling depression and anxiety yes. and gets into bed, yes, never to be it, seen again. Yes, it's it takes a bath. I think, <laughs> and it doesn't make it feel any better. I think that is the appropriate for the emotional stakes that the wave brought me. I don't think it deserves to be smashed by a planet. I think no. it deserves to just feel bad for itself and have no way to feel better yeah now the agreed, quake agreed the quake on the other hand we'll see i will be watching the quake this week next week we'll make sure to spend a few minutes letting you know if this the roarless sequel is better now charles you threatened Derek and myself uh during the week with i sure did really something really bonkers yeah i'm, you were I'm like, very Get excited ready for the way i'm gonna end our episode do you want to unveil that now no no, I don't need to. I'm keeping it. <laughs> so this is something that could happen any episode, you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's all set up. Much like uh, much like a rock slide causing a giant tsunami that smashes a town. At any point, Charles 
We don't know when, but we know it will happen. He will drop whatever this thing is to end an episode. Yeah. So, you know, be on the lookout for that. Watch for the 10 minute countdown. Well, you're on the lookout for that. I just want to (laughs) say, please remain calm. (laughs) 